Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our daily reading conference call on A Course in Miracles Original Edition. We read from the text of A Course in Miracles Original Edition, which is published by our dear friends at the Course in Miracles Society. You can access an online copy of the original edition by going to jcim.net. JCIM, as in Jesus Course in Miracles.net, where if you mouse over the link at the top for online edition, you will see the link to read ACIMOE. On the same top menu there is a link to subscribe to an excellent e- email sent to you by the Course in Miracles Society, which contains both a workbook lesson and the text reading for the day. My name is Lemoyne Castle, and this call happens for and with you every weekday morning, Monday through Friday, from about 9.15 or so to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Today we're continuing our reading in Chapter 20, The Promise of the Resurrection, with Section 7, The Temple of the Holy Spirit. And at the top of the hour, we will pause for remembrance of our lesson for the day, Lesson 229, which is, Love, which created me, is what I am. And that will be led again today by the most consistent (laughs) friend. And... uh, Well, let me ask Lori, do you have a poetic opening for this call this morning? I do. This one's pretty special. It's a stanza, one stanza from a beautiful work called Gitanjali by Rabindranath Tagore. Just one stanza. It's so perfect for for today's lesson. It says, I... I'll no longer bear on my shoulder the burden that was me. I'll no longer keep myself poor, staying indoors endlessly, leaving the load I've been carrying at his feet. I'll go out the door. I'll no longer be what I was and keep talking needlessly. I'll no longer bear on my shoulder the burden that was me. He will fulfill my desires in the twinkling of an eye. I will not profane him by refusing what he gives with his own hands. I'll no longer be happy with what rings without the music of his love. I'll no longer bear on my shoulder the burden that was me. Love which created me is what I am. Amen. Well, thank you, Lori. Thanks for that. Lori, that was really, really beautiful. Um, I like to get a copy of that somehow. Hmm. I'll try to post it on our chat group. 
You're welcome, guys. What'd you say, Robin Marie? I love the twinkling of the eye. And in a twinkling of an eye. Yeah. I like that. I love that phrase. And it was perfect. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're welcome. It's really, really, really happy to find that. Thanks, you guys. Well, thank you, Laurie. And uh, thanks for everybody. <laughs> thank Lori, because I was wondering, did I mute everybody or something? Okay. Um, I, what I okay? Let me go through the reading list. Who's here and reading, and who's here to listen? Um, and this morning I have Fran, Lori, Jennifer, Robin Marie, and Sandra listening. And I have Judy and Harrison listening. And I don't know if that's perfectly correct. That's still a chance to switch lists here or uh, just say good morning. Join the reading list if you like. Anyone else like to announce before we start reading? Alrighty then, here we go. Chapter 20, The Promise of the Resurrection, Section 7, The Temple of the Holy Spirit. The meaning of the Son of God lies solely in his relationship with his Creator. If it were elsewhere, it would rest upon contingency but there is nothing else. And this is wholly loving and forever. Yet has the Son of God invented an unholy relationship between him and his Father? His real relationship is one of perfect union and unbroken continuity. The one he made is partial, broken into fragments, and full of fear. The one created by his Father is wholly self-encompassing and self-extending. The one he made is wholly self-destructive and self-limiting. And Fran. Chapter 20, The Promise of the Resurrection, Section 7, The Temple of the Holy Spirit, Paragraph 45. The meaning of the Son of God lies solely in his relationship with his Creator. If it were elsewhere, it would rest upon contingency. But there is nothing else. And this is holy, loving, and forever. Yet has the Son of God invented an unholy relationship between him and his Father. His real relationship is one of perfect union and perfect continuity. The one he made is partial, self-centered, broken into fragments, and full of fear. The one created by his Father is wholly self-encompassing and self-extending. The one he made is wholly self-destructive and self-limiting. 46. Nothing can show the contrast better than the experience of both a holy and an unholy relationship. 
The first is based on love and rest on it, terrain and undisturbed. The body does not intrude upon it. Any relationship in which the body enters is based not on love, but on idolatry. Love wishes to be known, completely understood and shared. It has no secrets, nothing that it would keep apart and hide. It walks in sunlight, open-eyed and calm, in smiling welcome and in sincerity so simple and so obvious it cannot be misunderstood. But idols do not share. Well, thank you, friend. And Lori. Paragraph 46. Nothing can show the contrast better than the experience of a holy and an unholy relationship. The first is based on love and rests on it, serene and undisturbed. The body does not intrude upon it. Any relationship in which the body enters is based not on love, but on idolatry. Love wishes to be known, completely understood and shared. It has no secrets, nothing that it would keep apart and hide. It walks in sunlight, open-eyed and calm, in smiling welcome, and in sincerity so simple and so obvious it cannot be misunderstood. But idols do not share. 47. Idols accept, but never make return. They can be loved, but cannot love. They do not understand what they are offered, and any relationship in which they enter has lost its meaning. They live in secrecy, hating the sunlight and happy in the body's darkness where they can hide and keep their secrets hidden along with them. And they have no relationships, for no one else is welcome there. They smile on no one, and those who smile on them, they do not see. Thank you, Lori. And Jennifer. 47. Idols accept, but never never make return. They can be loved, but cannot love. They do not understand what they are offered, and any relationship in which they enter has lost its meaning. They live in secrecy, hating the sunlight, and happy in the body's darkness, so they can hide and keep their secrets hidden along with them. And they have no relationships where no one else is welcome there. They smile on no one. And those who smile on them, they do not see. What do you mean? Love has no darkened temples where mysteries are kept obscure and hidden from the sun. It does not seek for power but for relationships. The body is the ego's chosen weapon for seeking power through relationships. And its relationships must be unholy. For what they are, it does not even see. It wants them solely for the offerings on which its idols 
thrive. The rest is merely, the rest, it merely goes away. For all that it could offer is seen as valueless. Homeless, the ego seeks as, the ego seeks as many bodies as it can collect to place its idols in and so establish them as temples to itself. Thank you, Jennifer and Robin Murray. Forty-eight. Love has no darkened temples where mysteries are kept obscure and hidden from the sun. It does not seek for power, but for relationships. The body is the ego's chosen weapon for seeking power through relationships, and its relationships must be unholy. For what they are, it does not even see. It wants them solely for the offerings on which its idols thrive. The rest it merely throws away, for all that it could offer is seen as valueless. Homeless, the ego seeks as many bodies as it can collect to place its idols in and so establish them as temples to itself. 49. The Holy Spirit's temple is not a body, but a relationship. The body is an isolated speck of darkness, a hidden secret room, a tiny spot of senseless mystery, a meaningless enclosure carefully protected, yet hiding nothing. Here the unholy relationship escapes reality and seeks for crumbs to keep itself alive. Here it would drag its brothers, holding them here in its idolatry. Here it is, quote, safe, unquote, for here love cannot enter. The Holy Spirit does not build his temples where love can never be. Would he who sees the face of Christ choose as his home the only place in all the universe where it cannot be seen? Thank you, Robin Marie. And Sandra. 49. The Holy Spirit's temple is not a body, but a relationship. The body is an isolated speck of darkness, a hidden secret room, a tiny spot of senseless mystery, a meaningless enclosure, carefully protected, yet hiding nothing. Here, the unholy relationship escapes reality and seeks for crumbs to keep itself alive. Here is what here it would drag its brothers, holding them here in its idolatry. Here it is safe, for here love cannot enter. The Holy Spirit does not build his temples where love can never be. Would he who sees the face of Christ choose as his home the only place in all the universe where it cannot be seen? Fifty. 
You cannot make the body the Holy Spirit's temple, and it will never be the seat of love. It is the home of the idolater and of love's condemnation. For here is love made fearful and hope abandoned. Even the idols that are worshipped here are shrouded in mystery and kept apart from those who worship them. This is the temple dedicated to no relationships and no return. Here is the mystery of separation perceived in awe and held in reverence. What God would have not be, what God would have not be is here kept safe from him. But what you do not realize is what you fear within your brother and would not see in him is what makes God seem fearful to you and kept unknown. Thank you, Sandra. And is there a new reader for 50 and 51? New reader? Good morning, everyone. It's Karen. I can read. Great. 50 and 51. Fifty. You cannot make the holy the, the body excuse me. <laughs> you cannot make the body the Holy Spirit's temple. And it will never be the seat of love. It is the home of the idolater and of love's condemnation. For here is love made fearful and hope abandoned. Even the idols that are worshipped here are shrouded in mystery and kept apart from those who worship them. This is the temple dedicated to no relationship and no return. Here is the quote-unquote mystery of separation perceived in awe and held in reverence. What God would not, would have not be is here kept quote-unquote safe from him. But what you do not realize is what you fear within your brother and would not see in him is what makes God seem fearful to you and kept unknown. 51. Idolaters will always be afraid of love, for nothing so severely threatens them as love's approach. Let love draw near them and overlook the body, as it will surely do, and they retreat in fear, feeling the seeming firm foundation of their temple begin to shake and loosen. Brothers, you tremble with them, yet what you fear is but the herald of escape. This place of darkness is not your home. Your temple is not threatened. You are idolaters no longer. The Holy Spirit's purpose lies safe in your relationship and not your bodies. You have escaped the body where you are the body, excuse me, where you are the body cannot enter. For the Holy Spirit has set his temple there.
Thank you, Karen. <clears throat> and is there another new reader for 51 and 52? Another new reader for 51 and 52? Okay, back to you, friend. 51. Idolaters will always be afraid of love, for nothing so severely threatens them as love's approach. Let love draw near them and overlook the body, as it will surely do, and they retreat in fear, feeling the seeming firm foundation of their temple begin to shake and loosen. Brothers, you tremble with them. Yet what you fear is but the herald of escape. This place of darkness is not your home. Your temple is not threatened. You are idolaters no longer. The Holy Spirit's purpose lies safe in your relationship and not your bodies. You have escaped the body. Where you are, the body cannot enter. For the Holy Spirit has set his temple there. 52. There is no order in relationships. They either are or not. An unholy relationship is no relationship. It is a state of isolation which seems to be what it is not. No more than that. The instant that the mad idea of making your relationship with God unholy seemed to be possible, all your relationships remain meaningless. In that unholy instant, time was born and bodies made to house the mad idea and give it the illusion of reality. And so it seemed to have a home that held together for a little while in time and vanished. For what could house this mad idea against reality but for an instant? Thank you, Brian and Lori. 52. There is no order in relationships. They either are or not. An unholy relationship is no relationship. It is a state of isolation which seems to be what it is not. No more than that. The instant that the mad idea of making your relationship with God unholy seemed to be possible, all your relationships were made meaningless. In that unholy instant, time was poured and bodies made to house the mad idea and give it the illusion of reality. And so it seemed to have a home that held together for a little while in time and vanished. For what could house this mad idea against reality but for an instant? 53. Idols must disappear and you leave no trace behind their going. The unholy instant of their seeming power is frail as a snowflake, but without its loveliness. Is this the substitute you want for the eternal blessing of the holy instant and its unlimited beneficence? Is the malevolence of the unholy relationship so seeming powerful and so bitterly misunderstood and so invested in a false attraction your preference? to the holy instant which offers you peace and understanding then lay aside the body and quietly transcend it rising to welcome what you really want and from his holy temple look you not back on what you have awakened from 
for no illusions can attract the minds that have tr- transcended them and left them far behind. Thank you, Lori and Jennifer. 53. Idols must disappear and leave no trace behind their going. The unholy instant of their seeming power is frail as it is a snowflake. But without its loveliness, is this a substitute you want for the eternal blessing of the holy instant and its unlimited (laughs) beneficence? Is this the malevolent Oh, wow. Is this the malevolence of the unholy relationship? So seeming powerful and so bitterly misunderstood and so invested in a false attraction. Your preference to the holy instance which offers you peace and understanding? Then lay aside the body and quietly, quietly transcend it rising to welcome what you really want. And from his holy temple, look you not back on what you have awakened from. For no illusion can attract the mind that have transcended them and left them far behind. 54. The holy relationship reflects the true relationship the Son of God has with his Father in reality. The Holy Spirit rests within it in the certainty it will endure forever. Its firm foundation is eternally upheld by truth and love shines on it with the gentle smile and tender tender blessing it offers to its own. Here, the unholy instant is exchanged in gladness for the Holy One of safe return. Here is the way to true relationships held gently open through which you walk together, leaving the bodies thankfully behind and resting in the everlasting arms. Love's arms are open to receive you and give you peace forever. Thank you, Jennifer. And Robin Marie. reflects the true relationship the Son of God has with his Father in reality. The Holy Spirit rests within it in the certainty it will endure forever. Its firm foundation is eternally upheld by truth and love shines on it with the gentle smile and tender blessing it offers to its own. Here the unholy instant is exchanged in gladness 
for the Holy One of safe return. Here is the way to true relationships held gently open through which you walk together, leaving the body thankfully behind and resting in the everlasting arms. Love's arms are open to receive you and give you peace forever. 55. The body is the ego's idol, the belief in sin made flesh and then projected outward. This produces what seems to be a wall of flesh around the mind, keeping it prisoner in a tiny spot of space and time, beholden unto death and given but an instant in which to sigh and grieve and die in honor of its master. And this unholy instant seems to be life, an instant of despair, a tiny island of dry sand, bereft of water and yet uncertainly upon... Oh, sorry. And this unholy instant seems to be life, an instant of despair, a tiny island of dry sand, bereft of water and set uncertainly upon oblivion. Here does the Son of God stop briefly by to offer his devotion to death's idols and then pass on. And here he is more dead than living. Yet it is also here he makes his choice again between idolatry and love. Thank you, Robin Murray and Sandra. 55. The body is the ego's idol, the belief in sin made flesh and then projected outward. This produces what seems to be a wall of flesh around the mind, keeping it prisoner in its tiny spot of space and time, beholden unto death and given but an instant in which to sigh and grieve and die in honor of its master. And this unholy instant seems to be life, an instant of despair, a tiny island of dry sand, bereft of water and set uncertainly upon oblivion. Here does the Son of God stop briefly to be by, sorry, here is the Here does the Son of God stop briefly by to offer his devotion to death's idols and then pass on. And here he is more dead than living. Yet it is also here he makes his choice again between idolatry and love. Here here it is given him to choose to spend this instant paying tribute to the body, or let himself be given freedom from it, here he can accept the holy instant offered him to replace the unholy one he chose before. And here can he learn relationships are his salvation and not his doom. You who are learning this may still be fearful, but you are not immobilized. The holy instant is of greater value now to you than its unholy seeming counterpart. 
And you have learned you really want but one. This is no time for sadness, perhaps confusion, but hardly discouragement. Thank you, Sandra. And Karen. I'll go back one. Yet it is also here he makes his choice again between idolatry and love. 56. Here it is given him to choose to spend this instant paying tribute to the body or let himself be given freedom from it. Here he can accept the holy instant offered him to replace the unholy one he chose before. And here can he learn relationships are his salvation and not his doom. You who are learning this may still be fearful, but you are not immobilized. The holy instant is of greater value to you. The holy instant is of greater value now to you than its unholy seeming counterpart. And you have learned you really want but one. This is no time for sadness, perhaps confusion, but hardly discouragement. 57. You have a real relationship, and it has meaning. It is as like your real relationship with God as equal things are likened to each other. Idolatry is past and meaningless. Perhaps you fear each other a little yet. Perhaps the shadow of the fear of God remains with you. Yet what is that to those who have been given one true relationship beyond the body? Can they be long held back from looking on the face of Christ? And can they long withhold the memory of their relationship with their Father from themselves and keep remembrance of his love apart from their awareness? Thank you, Karen. And is there a new reader who would like to conclude with 57? A new reader who would like to conclude with 57? Okay. We'll go back to Lori. We'll turn to you, Fran, right after. Um, Lori, would you read 57? Oh, I'd be very happy to. 57. You have a real relationship, and it has meaning. It is as like to your real relationship with God as equal things are like unto each other. Idolatry is past and meaningless. Perhaps you fear each other a little yet. Perhaps a shadow of the fear of God remains with you. Yet, what is that to those who have been given one true relationship beyond the body? Can they be long held back from looking on the face of Christ? And can they 
long withhold the memory of their relationship with their father from themselves and keep remembrance of his love apart from their awareness? Amen. All right. Well, yeah, it's a, kind of kind of one of those sections which seems real rough, but I think he's just trying to convince us to uh, turn away from valuing things to towards relationship, the truly real. And uh, Fran, it's your time. About the hour. Give our attention to Fran while she leads us in remembering the lessons of the day. Thank you. Thanks. Hi, everybody. We are in the second part of the workbook, and we are on the theme of what is forgiveness. And today's lesson is Lesson 229. Love, which created me, is what I am. So I shall read some from What is Forgiveness, and then we will go to the lesson and do our five-minute practice. Okay. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness recognizes that you thought your brother did. What you thought your brother did to you has not occurred. It does not pardon sins and make them real. It sees there was no sin. And in this view are all your sins forgiven. An unforgiving thought is one which makes a judgment that it will not raise to doubt, although it is not true. An unforgiving thought does many things. In frantic action, it pursues its goal, twisting and overturning what it sees as interfering with its chosen path. It sets about its furious attempts to smash reality. Forgiveness, on the other hand, is still and quietly does nothing. It offends no aspect of reality, nor seeks to twist it to appearance that it likes. It merely looks and waits and judges not. Do nothing then, and let forgiveness show you what to do through him who is your guide, your savior, and defender, strong in hope and certain of your ultimate success. He has forgiven you already. Now we'll go over to the lesson. I'll read a little bit from this. Lesson 229. Love which created me is what I am. I seek my own identity and find it in these words. Quote, love which created me is what I am. Unquote. Now need I seek no more. Love has prevailed. So still it waited for my coming home that I will turn away no longer from the holy face of Christ. Father, my thanks to you for what I am, for keeping my identity untouched and sinless in the midst of all the thoughts of sin my foolish mind made up, and thanks to you for saving me from them. Amen. All right, lesson 229. Love which created me is what I am. Now we'll do our five-minute practice. 
is this meeting going on or are you meditating? It's, We're uh, meditating, Steve. Sorry. Five minutes on lesson 229. Love which created me is what I am. Okay, Steve, now you can share. Thank you, friend. Can you hear me? Can okay. you hear me? Lesson two. Okay, can friend. I do the end? Let me do the end. Lesson 229. Yeah. Love which created me is what I am. Amen. 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 Welcome, Steve. Thank you, friend. Is it sharing time? I, I don't know. I think so. I'm new to this, too. <laughs> well, I listened to the reading about the body. It's a place not for the... It's not the temple. I know inside of me is the altar. But the, for me... Science has told me, and I believe it, because they know better than me, that the Big Bang happened about almost 14 billion years ago. And this body life of mine is not even a blink in an eye. Yet so precious the opportunity to see, feel, hear, taste, touch. And, and the body is a gift. God has not made a mistake by giving me this opportunity in this body. So the whole, whoever's talking there, Jesus or Helen's bias, I don't know, because for me, it's a gift. And I, I am a gracious receiver of the gift. And yes, sometimes it is the world of duality, and sometimes it's really tough. But this body experience... The ability to have a relationship with the divine. When the body goes, I don't think there's any me to have a relationship with. So I'm embracing this precious human body's life. And I get to feed it right or feed it wrong. No matter what, I'm safe because I'm in touch with that which the Course talks about. But when I hear this constant body dissing, uh, it's a false identification for sure. I'm not the body. I'm partially having this body. And thank God for this precious gift of a human body life so that I can have this experience. So for me, I just hope nobody's going with the sheep consciousness of dissing this body as, a, as an illusion and not really sure it's, it's, it's only about 100 years old and then it goes. But while it's here, how precious it is. Thank you. I'm complete. Thank you, Steve. You're precious and everybody on the line. And I wholeheartedly 
um, and I, I probably have to say everyone else here um, understands um, what you're saying. And thank you. That was, I feel very much needed. Thanks, Steve. Um, I like what you have to say. You have good points. Thank you. Well, this is Lemoyne, and yeah, thank you, Steve. I, I always, okay, I think there are two things that are very useful to keep in mind here. One is, this is a course for the mind. And if you look at the section uh, called What is the Body? It starts with the statement, the body is a fence. If you look at the body, you know, at most it could be a fence post. I mean, what is he talking about? But it's to fence, there's a section gets to there that, that we pretend we're trapped in the body and that our being is limited to the body. And that is, that is just not, not even true. <laughs> okay. And yeah. we think we, for example, just, one example that's occurred to me recently. We think it's the breathing out of bad air and the breathing in of good air that is the exchange in breathing. But really, the lung tissue is doing the carbon dioxide-oxygen exchange all the time. And we're just breathing to facilitate what is an actually a constant exchange. And there's this facility. So, okay, so the body is not the fence that we think it is. And he's doing one of his, I think, proofs by the method reductio ad absurdum. You take the view that the body is, is a prison and we're just here temporarily trapped in the body, doomed to pass away. You miss the whole the whole glory of creation going on around us. And this is the, this is what he's trying to get us to change our mind about. It's not the body is the problem. So I, and I, so I agree with you, Steve. It would be wrong to blame the body because very early in the text, in healing as release from fear, he says the body, if properly understood, shares the invulnerability of the atonement to two-edged application. It can't really be used to both express love and fear. You know, not, just, not just because <clears throat> um, love is everything and fear is nothing, but because in itself, it's just a neutral thing. You know, this is not because the body is, goes on to say, this is not because the body is a miracle, but because it is not inherently open to misinterpretation. And I think the example is, if there weren't a being inside the body, it would just sit there. But the body is motivated by being. It's the being that counts. And so the body is merely a fact in human experience. It's the next line. And it does go on to say it's almost impossible to deny its existence 
and those who do so are engaging in a particularly unworthy form of denial. The term unworthy here implies simply that it is not necessary to protect the mind by denying the unmindful, the body. Mm -hmm. There is little doubt that the mind can miscreate. If one denies this unfortunate aspect of the mind's power, one is also denying the power itself. And the power itself is the power to change change the mind and align it with, you know, whatever we've made or whatever we hold as, as proof of uh, separation, that the Holy Spirit can use that in an entirely different way to generate and express love and, and relationship. So I think really what he's trying to do is not discard the body, but get us to change our minds about it because it is the mind power that turns the body into a prison house and uh, seeks for idols instead of the really real exchange of love that is creation. Anyway, I'm complete. That was great, Lemoyne. Just, just perfect. Yes, it was. Thank you so much, Lemoyne. Great job, Lemoyne. Yes, thank you, Lemoyne. Thank you, Lemoyne. The mind guided by the ego, you know, it's, um, it's, it's adultery or all the things that we're talking about, but the mind making the choice to be guided by the Holy Spirit, it's all love. That's my short on it. Thank you. Morning, this is Sandra. I liked your um, explanation, Steve, and I also agree that um, the body is an amazing miracle. <laughs> um, and it, it can serve the spirit really well but what's what happened i think with our species is that there was an imbalance a mistake and we we made the body our god we started to worship the body um and it it became and we became addicted to it and so it everything became imbalanced and then we exploited it and um used it as slaves put you know started slavery and all this other stuff so and i don't know that we did that bodies did that i i'm not sure what happened there but something got imbalanced and it's creating imbalance on this planet and um and that's what needs to be healed and it's it all started in the mind and you're right lemoyne i loved your explanation too that this is a book for training the mind because the mind is in charge of the body the mind can control the body if if it's disciplined enough it can actually heal the body um, the mind of God can so and that's what miracles are all about too so, so it's just like it's just to put it's just to create balance I think this book really helps to create balance that you know our our primary focus 
is not the body. It's, it's the energy. It's the spirit. It's the spirit of life. It's love. I'm complete. Thank you, Sandra. Thank you, Sandra. Thank you, Sandra. Also, many, many people believe that the reality of what we breathe in, when we breathe in, it's this prana or the chi, it's the life force. I mean, they don't call it like oxygen or whatever. They call it the life force by any other name. And I've read a book that talks about an ancient, well, not that ancient, but a civilization that used to be that was removed from the history books. But anyway, they built their architecture even to harness the life force, to bring it in, to use it for free energy to run things to run transportation devices and things like that. So, um, and I've heard of, of gardening with that kind of thing, with using copper poles in your garden and stuff like that to bring in and bring down the life force uh, into your plants to make them grow better. So, it's pretty cool. So, anyway, thanks. I'm complete. Thank you, Ida. Thank you, Ida. Thank you, Ida. I've, I've heard of fruitarians and even breatharians that don't eat or even drink, believe it or not, at all. They're still alive. I don't know if it's true or not, but but they breathe. They breathe in the life force. Thanks again. Um, one more thing. <laughs> the fact that I've been dealing with diabetes for many years and arthritis and God knows what else, maybe something else too, that has made it hard for me to use my body in the normal ways to do things and everything recently, um, has made me more appreciative of the five senses. Not just the sixth sense, but the five senses like Steve was talking about um, Wonderful it is to taste, to touch, to smell, to hear, to see. Yeah, my eyes have been getting more blurry too. So it makes me more appreciative of all that. Thanks again.
later. Ida, this is Jennifer, and in regards to arthritis, um, castor oil without the hexen is, I've heard a lot of good things about helping arthritis significantly, and if you Google that, look into that, you might see some changes in how you feel. Did you say without the hex change? Yes. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Jennifer. Be well and prosper. <laughs> In love. <laughs> Are we being still? Obviously. Oh. Mostly it seems, Judy. Beg your pardon? Oh, you asked if we're being still, and I said mostly it seems, Judy. Oh, <laughs> it's fine. I'm just coming out, out and about to... Um, share about today's lesson and how I've grown in in my understanding of the truth of my experience of being in the world, of being a physical and a spiritual person, and the joy and how it's increased, and how being at peace with, with myself being comfortable and at ease within myself, which has enabled me greatly to be at peace and at ease with others in the world, um, literally saving saving, peop- saving the world from Judy <laughs> as she existed prior to um, understanding the understanding that she was not her ego. And um, the investment that I had in my body, you know, I I, I really, I truly, truly agree with Steve, you know, in in the fact that I have have reveled, and I use that word revel, revelry, you know, the, the revelation of God in me, the joy 
of God using um, participating with the unity within the unity of my relationships the unity of my relationships with people and with the world like you know athletes call it getting in the zone skiing especially swimming especially for me um, even golfing I mean I I you know I don't know if anybody's seen that movie Caddyshack where Chevy Chase goes oh mo 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 around the ball and then he hits it and he and he does it like 15 balls on the putting green and he gets them all in <laughs> you know it's just that being in oneness and it, it's a loss of a sense of a personal self and I think you know the the reason um, I started out with the an adamant attitude about disassociating myself from the body, which I did really quite adamantly in the beginning of my study of the course, was was um, because I was so strongly invested in it, um, in the pleasure pain principle, in seeking satisfaction from things outside of me to support um, I image within my body, my sense of myself in my body, that Judy looked good, Judy looked good doing what Judy was doing in her body, Judy had to be in the right place at the right time with the right people, and it was all associated with the I image, the self-concept associated with the body. Now, it, it took me quite a long time of... Um, probably because of the way that I particularly came to it. It's different for everybody, letting go of this I image idol, which the text refers to it as um, the idol of my reality. I make Judy's reality all-encompassing. You know, everything I give meaning to according to the use and purpose, it has to Judy. And, you know, that... You know, that I'm selfish and, and greedy and self-absorbed and, you know, I can be li- a liar and manipulative. I can be very dishonest in my charmingness and, you know, the, the, the things that I do that I take credit for that, um, you know, I just, I know that. I know that because I've been that. I've been that way. And um, coming to the course and coming to a a time in my life when, you know, I I brought myself to a, a place of catastrophe, personal catastrophe, that scared me to the point where I had to honestly, honestly, completely honest, honestly look at who I thought I was and how much of it was absolutely rooted in false assumptions based on false beliefs. You know, my life was a catalog, an endless list of judgments I had made on myself, good and bad. So this belief in the body as a sense of who I am not only limits it and is constrained by it, by the body, because of my self-preoccupation with it. So the idea that um, I am as God created me. Now, 
this takes a whole higher level order, higher order of thinking, intuitive thinking, honest and intuitive inquiry that has no answers except the ones that come from truth itself, the ones that come from life itself, the ones that come from love itself, because Judy doesn't have the answer to those questions. God, what am I? Life, what am I? You know, what... And it all comes from my relationship, the holy relationship that I have with the totality of it. It's not defined or limited by any one thing that's temporal or changes. My identification with love completes my identification with my relationship to everything else. That's what makes it a holy relationship. My identification with life, my identification with love, my identification with truth, my identification with God, which I think of as all being synonymous. And they're all big, huge, we can't even call them thoughts or concepts because they're beyond that. Thoughts and concepts are something that the mind can grasp. We can't grasp what life is or God is or what truth is. All we can do is be it, just simply be it. I can be true. I know what it means to be true to myself and to other people. I know that in my heart of hearts. And I know what it means to be loving, kind and caring and compassionate. I know what that means. And I know what it means to treat people with reverence. Reverence and honor and appreciation because I know not what they are or how they came to be here for me, with me, to me, for good or for bad. It's all a wonder. and It's just that kind of open-mindedness and open-heartedness that um, gives me a global kind of or a universal kind of perspective, a non-judgmental one. I have um, been very judgmental and critical and condemning, and we do it first and foremost to ourselves. We pick at ourselves first. That's how we separate ourselves from God. Well, that lesson yesterday was beautiful. And um, I think I'm run out. <laughs> oh, sitting gently, quietly, in stillness and peace, and brilliantly, brilliantly seeing clearly what it is to be the light that illuminates everything that I see when I. I'm so open that the light shines right through me and it shines right back at me. The brilliance of God's mind. Awesome. The end. Thank you, Judy. That was fantastic. I really, really needed to hear you. Thank you, Judy. Thank you.
Thank you, Judy. Thank you, Judy. This is Yogi Chris. Just want to say hi, and I'm listening. And don't forget to laugh. <laughs> Your humble Judy. And since you spoke up, I get to say, welcome, Chris, and welcome, Pat. Somebody told me this morning that pleasure is um, a degenerate, degenerated joy. <laughs> oh, I thought that was funny. Well, I listened to, thanks, Judy. I listened to a... a um, CD or something some years ago about happiness and it was a dialogue between the Dalai Lama Dalai Lama and Bishop Archbishop Desmond Tutu who both of them have had horrible things happen to their people in their country or in their former country but still managed to find the joy in life so I think that's an apt uh, distinction Thank you. Thank you, Ida. Thank you, Ida. Yes, thank you, Ida. They wrote a, 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 a great little book together that I read, and thank you for reminding me of that book. Hi, this is Yogi Chris. I just want, would like to share. I'm, on, I'm under the assumption that we read today's lesson, the 29. I, I just came in a few minutes ago. So I'm assuming 
Yeah, I like what Judy said about about the importance of knowing who we are. Uh, love, joy, peace, that energy of God which created us is what we are. Uh, and we could identify with that that we are at any given holy instant or point or present moment awareness. Um and we could find that uh, within ourselves, not out there, our identity, because of advertising, news, social media, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We've misidentified who we are. And it's always, even in partnership or or friendship or anything that that could be a disidentification in someone's feedback about who we are that love is within us that we could still our minds let go of what isn't us especially in meditation and see the holiness of being in that peace within ourselves and seeing through that holiness uh, anything we see. And that holiness is joy, is, is an energy of joy, an energy of relaxation, energy of peace. And we could have that no matter what happens outside of us. Isn't that neat? Uh, it's difficult to sometimes to envision that, wait a minute, all this is happening out there and I could stay at peace? Isn't that kind of not compassionate? Shouldn't I feel some level of suffering or sympathy because of what's happening? Um, And that might not sound too loving when I use the word sympathy. Um, But there is empathy and compassion that are more in alignment with who we are, I believe. Uh, and, and using the mirror of relationships to look upon what reflects us and using that as an opportunity to re- remove those personal self uh, false identities and say, hey, wait a minute. I'd rather see this in a loving way, and I'm seeing that I'm not seeing that. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Uh, And no matter what happens out there, someone shared this, we could stay safe within ourselves in that safe haven and that safe refuge, in that protection isn't that interesting too i could see myself sharing this at an assembly of peace with all the world leaders and 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 you see that look in their face huh (laughs) i love when i when i stimulate a look like that from people Yeah, and, and be appreciative of who we are to to God. I mean, that's 
that's a wonderful thing. Uh, that that identity that he created us to be is untouched and sinless. And he's, we're already saved. It's time to match that. Tennis, if this was a tennis game between me and God, it would be love, love. I think that love is a tennis match word. Anyways, I'm complete. Thank you. That was fun. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Chris. Uh, thank you, Chris. Uh, this is Lori. Just, uh, I love how you um, how you reflected on what relationships can reflect. Chris and um, and I love this lesson and I love this reading uh, for exactly that. It asked me um, it asked a real basic question of me: love, which created me, is what I am. The really basic question is: how does that find expression in my life? How does that find expression in my life? Except through, when I get this lesson into this reading, except through the caliber of my relationships. And and this reading does that so well. I mean, it characterizes um, the so-called relationships into which the ego enters and calls that idolatry. And when I consider uh, that the ego is a getting mechanism, it's designed for getting, 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 getting for the purpose of having and using, um, then everything that he says about special relationship is, is, um, I can see how it played out in my life of special relationships, put it that way, when I didn't know what I am. But this lesson says, love which created me is what I am. And and, um, the marvelous thing about love, uh, he says, way back in chapter 7, he says, love is your power. Love is your power. And in the Manual for Teachers, he talks about the development of trust and how it progresses through various stages. And right in the middle of, of his discussion of how trust in, in the divine nature of the universe, right in the middle of that, he talks about how uh, having discovered what's valuable and what's valueless, there's this sorting out. and after this period of sorting out why the teacher of God learns that he does not go alone, but rather with mighty companions with. And, and that tells me right there that the whole relationship of the son to the father is also the relationship of the sonship 
you know, the soul knows, he says, the soul knows that the consciousness of all its brothers are included in its own. It's via relationship uh, with our mighty companions that love plays out on a field um, that's helpful and harmless and is reinforcing of the nature of all of our reality collectively. Um, is having, um, having spent, um, I would say, even 11 years in a dark night, I finally heard the voice of Holy Spirit say, find your people. Find your people. And um, and I knew instantly, I mean, without a moment to think about it, my mind knew instantly, I have to find my mighty companions. And, um, and the reason for that is because of the freedom in the sonship to express love in how, however it manifests in my mind. And the inherent understanding that each of us are a manifestation of holiness. Each of us are a manifestation of the expression of the divine. And how desperately we need each other in order to reestablish that truth in a mind that forgot that love is its power. Love which created me is what I am. It's all well and good to know that, but without an expression, without manifestation, without reflection in the world, it's like an empty gesture. He says, Paul in Corinthians, a, a clanging bell. You know, without, without love, oh, and its manifestation, it's too easy, so easy incredibly easy to forget the truth. It it needs expression. I think in Course of Love he talks about movement being an expression. And um, and when love moves in me, um somehow somehow energy is a really good word for it. And it's a natural thing. It's not a doing at all. It's not a doing. I want to tell a story and then I'm going to end my share. Um, a number of years ago, I've had the same same fellow do my hair for over almost 30 years. And even though I go out of his shop still looking like an old lady, <laughs> it's never like the magazine. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all because uh, one year... On my way across town, I was thinking about Roger, and I was thinking, God is in everything I see because God is in my mind. And I felt so moved um, to share with Roger, who's just a really beautiful human being. I felt so moved to share my little box of pink cards, you know, the little box of pink cards that come from FIP with a lot of quotes. Well, it's filled with quotes and of Course of Miracles. And I shared it with him. Uh, he was moving to a new location. And I gave him this box and I said, Roger, you're just you're just such an expression of 
of all of this. I want you to have this. And he looked at it, he flipped through it, and it seemed, um, I don't know, it seemed religious to him, and, and, and he's not a religious kind of person. So he said, you take it back. It's more you than me. So I gave him something different. But anyway, that was a number of years ago. He, um, he's getting, he's as old as I am, really, but um, he's getting ready to lose his life partner. And, you know, it's a really sad time for him. But we don't talk about it. I sat in the chair. He gave me a permanent. And when I left, he's not a very touchy kind of person except hair. <laughs> when I was ready to leave, he touched me on the arm and he said, um, I just love your energy. And I, you know, I sit in the chair and I listen and he talks and he talks and he talks and he talks. He talks a lot. But anyway, uh, I felt compelled to give him a hug. And he said, I just love your energy. I, I love to visit with you. It's not a doing. This love who created me is what I am. It's just, um, it's the expression and manifestation of God. It's our power, and the only way to experience it is in relationship. And uh, for that, I'm very, very, very grateful for all the, the various relationships. Even a situation is a relationship, you know. When I find love in that, when I find love at the at the Starbucks drive through window, I mean, it's like it's everywhere when it's what I'm looking for and ways to express it. It's not a doing, and I'm so grateful uh, for all the relationships of self that we're surrounded with. So that I finally learn, finally, finally, finally learn, I don't have to die to be with God. He put himself everywhere. I'm completely... Oh, thank you so much, Lori. Thank you. Thank you, Lori. Yeah, thank you, Lori. Thank you, Lori. Hi. Thank you, Lori. That was beautiful. You remind me of um, the... um, the way that Lemoyne opens the call, that's call it's with us and for us. I don't know what, I'm not repeating how you say it, Lemoyne, but um, in remembrance of the principles, miracles, principles of miracles, that miracles are expressions of love to and for and with each other um, in, in our relationships. And um, how it says that everything is a miracle. And Einstein said that. He said, either everything is a miracle or nothing is a miracle. And that God doesn't play dice with the universe. I just love that. And and, um, in the principles for miracles, too, how it says that miracles are not, I'm not um, saying it verbatim, so forgive me, um, but... It's, it's not the expression or the miracles that matter. It's the source that matters. And this is what um, the Course in Miracles has taught me, that 
miracles are expressions of ourself as we are in truth, that if we're not expressing, expressing loving thoughts, it's an unforgiving thought. It's a judgmental thought. And that only loving thoughts are true. And if I'm being true to myself, I'm really, in reality, only able to express loving thoughts or I'm not being true to myself. That is what is being one with my Father, as my Father created me to be. And I wanted to thank Chris for his share, Yogi Chris, um, that being that we, that I need to accept, I need to accept and acknowledge that means not know, know the truth of who I am, how God created me to be. That's something I, I am responsible for. I am responsible for how I think, how I see. If I see through the eyes of Christ, it's through the eyes of love, through God's eyes, how God would see things with holiness and reverence and appreciation. No matter how it's appearing, whether I like it or not, what my, whatever my preferences are, whatever would make me feel comfortable. Because that's one thing I learned from nursing, that, that I had to set aside my, my feelings of, of being uncomfortable around sick and suffering people in order to get to the business of being a good nurse. I simply couldn't think of what I was thinking about it. I had to ignore it, deny it. And, my, and I think that's something that the Course teaches us to do. And Chris, you refer to that. It's not an act of, um, of, 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 of um, not being sympathetic or empathetic because we truly do fundamentally know what suffering is. And the idea that we have this compassion, this capacity, potential, infinite potential, to be loving and compassionate, that we set aside our own level of discomfort in order to be comforting, a comfort by being comfortable in our own skin in order, order to rise above the suffering that we're, we're in relationship with in, uh, in, in and among the human experience, that I set aside that. And... Um, my personal preference to either reject it, fight against it, or run from it, cease fighting or running from anything, is, is where we stand in being love as love created us to be, that perfect protection and safety of knowingly being love as love created me, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of love, the kingdom of peace. That's who and what I am. That's who and I who and what we all are. We are the kingdom of God that's perfectly protected and perfectly united and can, the ego cannot prevail against it, which means all the misery that the ego insists upon, all the complaints and all the misery-making, the sin, sickness, suffering, and death that the ego demands it's the reality of being in the body. So ergo, hmm, I'm just loving this call, and I'm truly grateful for all of you together being here as one with me. Amen.
I'm grateful for you too, Judy. Thank you, Judy. Yeah, thank, thank you, Judy. Thank you, Judy. It just reminding everyone is everyone's reminding me that it's a choice whether I choose joy, peace, happiness. And when I make that choice, then when I see or feel suffering, choosing to be happy or peaceful, joyful, uh giving and receiving are truly one and it's an experience in being um, a relationship of being and if someone's suffering some part of me is being healed as I'm giving um, and receiving in that holy holy instant thank you thank you everybody for your shares Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you, Jennifer. Thanks, Jennifer. Thank Thanks, you, Jennifer. Jennifer. That's the, that's the ticket, that it's impossible to be anywhere but here and now. Either I'm being love or I'm being an unforgiving thought. I rest in pieces for the living. I love that. I, I love that saying. I say it all the time. Rest in pieces for the living. And I'm truly alive if I'm living in the moment where I am here and now. The holy instant. Thank you. Oh, Judy, that was great. This is Jennifer. I just want to add this um, as an experience I have sometimes. Um, working, I'm a massage therapist, and sometimes I am working with a client, and I'm not feeling connected to my peace, happiness in the in the intake, or just in the very beginning. Um, someone who's really really resistant to receiving and um and maybe I am in that moment too so it's to make that experience a spirit an experience of um a follow-through of love coming through me opposed to darkness which can happen in these fields where you're caring for people um knowingly or unknowingly um, usually unknowingly, unconsciously. Um, I say in my mind either like a little prayer for us both. Um, and in one short one, <clears throat> Ram Dass, uh, I saw his little documentary, it's just beautiful, um, on Netflix. But I am, I am loving awareness. I am loving awareness. I am loving awareness and and that has been a really great saving grace for me like little mantra and um, I'll also say if I'm struggling to give and receive in a moment I release 
I lovingly release and surrender this, you know, blank. And, it, and sometimes I have to say it 200 times or all throughout the day. But it's addressing, it's opening me. Um, it's, the light is, is coming through me as I make that choice consciously in those moments. So there is no stagnation or, or, or um, it's, it's really resistance in me um, and belief systems that uh, took hold and, you know, slowly I circled the drain at one time. But now it's an opportunity to um, rise up and um, it's just it's just great, you know. So and and also I want to say to really lovingly give yourself the space to, you know, pause before you respond, so you can receive loving. You can receive the love um, that's all around you at all times, and then you're just emanating like sweet Judy was talking about um, earlier and a lot of you guys were in your own ways anyways I just felt like I really needed to share that thank you for listening a beautiful process thank you Jennifer Jennifer thank you Jennifer Uh, this is Ida Thank you, Jennifer. Um, so, back to giving and receiving. Um, I've had an experience several times this year, this calendar year, where by now I'm talking about a physical thing here, like a book I find in the church library or something like that. Somebody else, somebody else, quote unquote, wants what I want what I think is a good book or whatever that I should read or I should have or whatever. Somebody else wants it, for instance. So I end up giving away what I want, which is very, it reminds me of (laughs) a little bit of when I was a little girl in school and they passed out the color construction paper and the teacher said, what color do you want? And all the little girls, including me, we all wanted light blue. For some reason, we were a group mind, I guess. We all wanted the same color. I don't know if we ever ran out of colors. I don't remember that much. But anyway, and it reminds me more importantly of the course because it says in the course, give away that what you want to keep. And I think they're basically talking about ideas, feelings, things like that, right? Non-material things. But it might also be true for material things, too, that the best gift that I can give somebody is something I want, something I like. Even if I have to buy it, have keep one for myself and get another one for them, you know, type of deal. (laughs) I can't always do that. But anyway, so I just thought you'd like that little story. Thanks. Thanks, Lydia. That's so cute. Thank you. Thank you, Aja.
you know, Ida, when you pick up the item and, and before you give it to that person, it's the relationship that you've opened. And it's not the item, but the item is, is um, the expression. And your energy, your beautiful, loving energy, bathes the object. And then that person receives the object and your bathed energy on it. And that's, that's the um, relationship of the holy instance that you're, you're um, teaching or sharing with us today. Oh, how wonderful, Jennifer. Thank you. Nice. So it's always, in all ways, the relationship. I'm complete. Heck yeah, always. Just like in this circle right now. Oh, thank you both. Well, wow. uh, this is Lemoyne, and uh, yeah, I let the call go a little late and start a little late. And I, uh, I've been sensing something missing, and uh, <laughs> understand that as perhaps something. I, I did not, not giving or didn't give at an appropriate time, and uh, I think it's this. I mean, we've been through going through this book, some of us for years, but you know, certainly this year, it's been very clear how related the lesson is to each to each section we read. And that works despite the pattern of the lessons, one a day, straight through the year. We only read five days a year. The weekends, you know, seem to break things up and shuffle them around, but it continues that the lesson relates directly to the reading. And yet today there seems to be some kind of disconnect. But I think, you know, the title is the clue um, in in this sense for me that although the uh, <clears throat> this section is is kind of grim in its depiction of physical existence, uh, it's more like what we it's really it's, if you think of the title, this is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and what he's describing is what we've made of it instead of recognizing that the body is the temple. But it's, and in this case, the temple is made holy by the altar within. And the lesson provides a clear view of that. So, and he does get to it there in the last couple paragraphs of the reading that, you know, this view of our being, you know, who we really are in the sense of the word to be, (laughs) you know, that essential verb in at least Western languages, 
being, isness. I am, you are, he is. The thing of being is essentially formless. And, you know, the word that this curriculum, Course of Miracles, Course of Love, gives us to describe what being is if we since we're always trying to look further within at at the bottom it becomes circular like the ego's reasoning only it's all beneficent <laughs> you know that being is essentially love and i really appreciate the what course of love the way course of love frames it is that being recognizing itself as love wanted to share and that's why this explosion into you know the creation of form and the explosion into form and individuation is to provide a place for love and being which are it's almost essential they are essentially attributeless. I mean they have conditions or expressions by which they're known, like movement, being and expression. But they're really attributeless. But in relationship then being can know itself more fully as love. And that that's the real purpose and this whole section is about what we've done with it instead. <laughs> you know, uh, we've defiled the temple by burying the altar in idols. And it's not the things that we may focus our idolatry on. It's the belief, you know, the course defines an idol as the belief that an idea is more important than, um, you know, your brother right in front of you uh, or your, any other living being, really, I think. <clears throat> and then it's the, it's the being, which is the reality here, and, and being in relationship. And that's fully experienced in the recognizing the unity of the love which created us is what is going on here in reality. And all this other stuff that we do trying to find meaning and belief in, in the temporal world of form has got it backwards. That's all. And uh, so the... Uh, So this is where it, in 56, it has given us to choose to spend this instant of life paying tribute to the body or to let ourselves be given freedom from it. And uh, I think I just want to open that up a little bit. And it's not like throw the body away. It's like, this releases the body from all the things that we heap upon it, trying to find meaning in it when 
It is, uh, I believe it's helpful to conceive, to recognize the body is a community of trillions of cells sharing being. And the being they share is you. And, you know, you don't come from them, but they, you know, you give it, you give the body freedom and uh, it can be free and healthy itself. So follow you around, do what you want. But it um, it corrects this order of uh, what is cause and what is effect. And, and so here, here at this any time really, we can accept the holy instant offered us to replace the unholy one we have chosen before. And here we can learn relationship, our salvation and not our doom. And so, you know, as it says, the holy instant is of greater value to us now than its unholy seeming counterpart. And we have really learned that we really want, (laughs) okay, and we have learned that we really want but one of the two. This is no time for sadness, perhaps confusion, as if waking from a a sticky dream, but hardly discouragement. We have a real relationship, and it has meaning. And that's between each other. It It is as like your real relationship with God as equal things are like unto each other. Idolatry is past and meaningless. Perhaps we fear each other a little yet. Perhaps the shadow of the fear of God remains with us. Yet what is that to those who have been given one true relationship beyond the body? Can we be long held back from looking on the face of Christ? And can we long withhold the memory of our relationship with our Father? Love which created me is what I am. God is but love, and therefore so am I. And we keep that from ourselves and keep remembrance of his love apart from our awareness? Because, you know, then we can just keep dwelling in the first part of the section. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, shift in the dry shifting sands of uh, the belief that form determines when it's always being. And thank you all for being here. And, and uh, I, I, I'm going to ask you, Lori, do you have a poetic close to remind us of who we are this morning? Oh, I'm ready for you today. <laughs> <laughs> I do. It's a, a little short roomy poem. When I run after what I think I want, My days are a furnace of stress and anxiety. If I sit in my own place of patience, what I need flows to me and without pain. From this I understand that what I want also wants me, is looking for me and attracting me. There is a great secret here for anyone who can grasp it. 
There it is. Thank you. Beautiful, Thank you. Yes. And I thought that when you said, and without paying, at first I thought you said, and without paying, but we can pay in different ways, so it could be equated sometimes. <laughs> Yay, Rumi. I love you, Rumi. I love you, Lori, too. <laughs> Thanks, I do. Yes, thank you, I Anna. love you, too. It definitely works both ways. And uh, thank you, Lori. And I'll thank end you. the recording, but not the call. <laughs> Go ahead, Judy. I was just, that was beautiful, Lori. The, um, you know, when Ida shared about... Um, wanting something outside of herself that other people wanted too and um i think you know in, in studying the characteristics in the manual for teachers that understanding what true generosity was being generous of spirit that the only thing that we can share in truth is love and that we increase it thereby or other beautiful ideas the idea that um anything that I can lose is not worth valuing. Anything that I can take away from someone else is not worth valuing. In other words, making um, objects the, the focus of my happiness. I need or want to get something in order to be happy. And that's what makes our happiness, as God created us, non-contingent, that we are having been given everything in all the universe equally from God, equally in God's equal love for each of us, that we really don't need anything or want anything spiritually. We know this. But in in the ego's point of view, it comes from their point of view of lack or need, which also has to do with the identification of being in the body. I need clothes, I need a car, I need a house. And that's where the source of of the sense of lack and inadequacy come from, that egoic point of view. And that's what we're learning to let go of. That um, I got baby crows, so um, I think everybody knows we're all in this together, but... It bears repeating for myself. Thank you. I'm complete. <laughs> Can you hear my baby crow? <laughs> yes. It's very nice. Learned, Thank you, Jude. He's learning how to fly. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Judy. Thanks, 